So I'm going to talk about 20, 25 minutes of, um, of uh, COVID stuff. I mean, I'm sure, I don't think anybody really wants to get uh, anything longer than that. Uh, we have, we're steeped in it. Um, but uh, on the other hand, we are going to be uh, talking about things that uh, are not uh, typically discussed in uh, uh, media and, and indeed, except maybe quietly uh, in hallways uh, in academia. So um, we'll get, give it a shot and see uh, where we go with this. Um, the, uh, uh, as uh, Riley brought up, yes, um, uh, if I may use the technical term, the shit has hit the fan and there are some really um, terrible things going on, particularly here in the United States, but elsewhere. Uh, if you look at the five, top five countries uh, uh, that have been hit hardest uh, now at this point, you've got the United States, Brazil, India, Russia, and the UK, and they're all uh, in essence run by uh, rightist regimes. That's uh, not a surprise. Um, in, in most parts, uh, when the uh, right uh, gain, gain control of a government is in essence to uh, suppress efforts by uh, anybody else to use governance for something other than enriching, enriching the rich. Um, so, you know, the notion of uh, governance being something other uh, than that and that, you know, um, it could be used, for instance, for preparing uh, millions of people for an outbreak. Uh, what an idea, what a concept. Um, it's not on their, uh, they're on the table for them. I mean, uh, so when they are uh, confronted with a, a true crisis, uh, they're completely, uh, it is a matter of incompetence in, uh, indeed, but it is also a matter of, uh, of, of ethos. Uh, the desire and demand to uh, make sure that uh, all the resources gathered and used and produced uh, by workers and, and by uh, everyone else would be in essence um, used to enrich uh, those who already have profit. So, um, um, you know, we can get all involved in the kind of uh, particularities of uh, Trump and Bolsonaro's personalities, their incompetence, their uh, stupidity, um, but these are in essence uh, built into the uh, system uh, the refusal and failure to uh, respond uh, to what a, a crisis, as Riley put, uh, that was well known to be uh, oncoming. And, uh, and we can beat up on the rightists, but also there's the issue of uh, what uh, neoliberal, neoliberal capitalism has uh, placed us in. And uh, we see here uh, not only uh, our failure to uh, prepare here in the United States uh, didn't just start in January, um, but extends back 40 years when um, much of what we know is the public commons, the things we do to help each other survive uh, was uh, either abandoned or sold off. So uh, the public health care system um, has been basically stripped down to an individualized relationship between you and a doctor if you happen to have insurance. Uh, but even under Obamacare, 28 million uh, people um, aren't, are not insured, 24 million um, are underinsured, and uh, it has come uh, roaring in spades here. I mean, the, my view, pandemics are, are something of a mirror. They tell societies uh, something about themselves, and uh, we see ourselves uh, in, in, in a really uh, Dorian Gray kind of way. We're uh, observing the, the, the darkest version of uh, what had always been theirs. Uh, going back um, certainly in the last 40 years, but of course, uh, all the way back to the beginning of the United States as uh, 
that was founded in part on slavery and genocide. And uh, we can see how uh, the, the methodology or the, the thinking about it, the um, ways in which a country uh, is run for uh, decades and hundreds of years, uh, kind of recapitulated during crises. We see the attempt uh, basically to force uh, largely black and brown uh, workers back into the meatpacking factories. Uh, Trump decided not to use the Defense Production Act to, uh, in essence, uh, produce uh, uh, personal uh, protection equipment for, uh, for nurses and doctors and everybody else. But uh, as soon as the agribusiness snapped its fingers, he did so to, in essence, uh, uh, declare production of meat to, to be essential and forcing um, meatpackers, uh, meatpacking workers back into the factories which were, are, uh, and remain even now, uh, centers uh, of contagion. Um, so, uh, and, and it's not just Trump. Uh, you see in the state, uh, various uh, uh, agribusiness state governors acting in kind. Uh, you have um, uh, the governors of Nebraska and Iowa, uh, in essence, cutting off uh, access to uh, unemployment insurance for uh, meatpacking uh, workers as a way of basically saying that uh, if you don't uh, go back to work, you can't feed your family. And it's very much, I mean, as if those of us who did not understand before, uh, quite the extent to which racial capitalism uh, extends itself, uh, this is a, a, an obvious and clear example, uh, an attempt to, in essence, uh, push, push off the worst of the outbreak onto our black and brown brothers and sisters. And it really speaks to um, uh, the really, um, the, the utter contempt for human life uh, at present and the desire to, in essence, keep uh, uh, capital accumulating at the expense of uh, people's very lives. It happens every day, even before a pandemic. But uh, as I said, this kind of underlines uh, how uh, uh, obvious the, uh, that uh, system and process is. Um, let's see. Um, I know some of you uh, are, well, why don't we talk about COVID-19? What do we talk about? How did this come about? Uh, I've been uh, researching uh, um, diseases for about 25 years and got on the uh, pan uh, pandemic uh, line of research uh, in about 2005, looking at the H5N1, the first celebrity uh, uh, virus that emerged in the 21st century, if you recall that one, emerged out of Guangdong in China, spilled over into Hong Kong. Uh, it was an influ avian influenza that killed 60% of those who were infected. Uh, luckily, it didn't go human to human. Um, but since then, we've had a whole series of uh, um, viruses that are a, a new, a newly emerged or re-emerged in a way uh, that uh, seemed to indicate that they were something different. So we've had Ebola since the mid-70s. It typically would spill over, uh, hit a couple uh, villages in Central Africa, kill a whole bunch of people with a case fatality rate of 90%, and maybe kill a couple of uh, guerrilla or, or chimp troops. Um, terrible thing, but uh, ostensibly marginalized into the uh, the forest area. But then we have 2013, we have an Ebola that is genetically very much the same as all the other Ebolas uh, up until this point, but somehow is able to um, uh, infect 35,000 people in West Africa, killing 11,000, uh, leaving bodies in the streets of uh, major regional capitals and threatening to go on the uh, travel network. So Ebola, we've got Zika, uh, we've got uh, other, other avian influenzas, H7 and 9. Uh, we have here in the United States, H5N2 in, uh, emerged in 2015. 
um, and killed 50,000 uh, uh, poultry here in the Midwest. Uh, didn't go human to human, thankfully, but we do have a swine influenza that emerged in 2009 uh, off basically industrial uh, hog farms in the United States. Uh, and uh, the influenza genome is segmented, so different parts, different genes uh, winded its way across the, the US and Asia and then converged together in, uh, on hog farms outside uh, Mexico, were in essence uh, Smithfield food subsidiaries before it spread around the world as a human to human infection. And uh, uh, if you remember, we were all worried in the early days of the, uh, that uh, uh, pandemic, but it uh, seemed not to be as, in, uh, as deadly as we thought it might be. Uh, but people forget that a half a million people were killed that first year uh, from uh, H1N1 2009. So um, uh, we seem to have all these different uh, um, pathogens emerging one after the other, and uh, we all get swept up in the emergency of it. We all uh, run to our, our search engines, look up the, uh, the, the virology of the uh, uh, pathogen, the uh, epidemiology of it, uh, the clinical course, and, and of course those things are important and we should uh, always be uh, paying attention to those things and uh, we should always have research dedicated to that work. Uh, but in essence, uh, we are, are being strung emergency to emergency in such a way that uh, um, we are have basically lost sight of the kind of the structural uh, um, aspects of why all these pathogens are emerging at what seems to be an increasing pace and an increasing extent. Um, and in some ways, uh, increasing deadliness. And if we have time, we'll, we can uh, unpack those. But for now, uh, uh, I, I missed SARS-1. Look, oh, there's so many of them, it's hard to keep track. Uh, SARS-1 is a coronavirus that spilled over in uh, Guangdong in, in China. Uh, it subsequently infected 8,000 people, tip, most of them in, in uh, China, but also in other places like Hanoi and Toronto. Uh, we were very lucky in that uh, when someone was infected with SARS-1, once they become symptomatic, then that's when uh, they're able to infect other people. So once people became symptomatic, meaning they show signs and symptoms of the infection, uh, you can basically, even if you don't have a vaccine or any drugs, you can do 19th century public health. Uh, you can isolate them in a, in, a, in a ward or at home and keep the infection from going person to person. Uh, that is not the case for this SARS, SARS-2, which seems to be uh, uh, capable of uh, infecting people before symptoms emerge and probably in part explains why it was able to go uh, human to human and spread around the world. Um, now, of course, it becomes the controversial part of our, our uh, as if what I have said so far is uh, old news, but it hasn't been. But the con controversial part uh, in, uh, is around uh, um, how the pathogen emerged, uh, why did it uh, emerge, and, and so forth. Um, we have um, an infection. Uh, the first indication was that it emerged at a, at a wild foods market and a wet food market in, in Wuhan. Um, and then uh, now uh, uh, all sorts of different uh, complications emerge about how that came about. I mean, in the market itself, about half of the samples seem to be positive, mostly on the end in which wild uh, foods were being sold. Um, so when I talk about wild foods, I'm saying animals that are differentiated from those more traditional livestock like hog and poultry. Uh, and of course, there's a kind of uh, orientalism involved in terms of how people uh, are afraid of of uh, eating anything other than a traditional livestock. But of course, uh, 
Uh, those animals are themselves can be sources of infection as well. Um, and but the kind of Wuhan story uh, falls apart a little bit because uh, some people were handling animals were infected, other people were infected before the uh, outbreak at the market. Um, and uh, typically, uh, um, many of these um, uh, in the actual spillover event probably didn't happen at the market. Um, the virus itself um, uh, originated in part from uh, bats. Uh, some of the uh, genetic sequences, uh, sequencing indicates that the closest relative uh, was in part a bat that was sampled in Yunnan, which is a, a southwest province. Um, and also it was some sort of recombinant with that of a pangolin uh, um, infection, that is an, uh, a SARS that had infected a pangolin in passing. Um, the controversy comes because there's a, a camp of uh, uh, scientists, largely independent, uh, who uh, claim that it emerged out of a, um, out of a lab in, in Wuhan uh, and spilled over. They don't necessarily think that it's actually uh, bioengineered that way, but that it was a, a lab accident. Uh, basically, the mainstream media has pushed that out, out of the way. Um, Part of it, uh, left and right, uh, uh, there are conspira uh, conspiracy theorists around this um, with uh, cockeyed uh, uh, visions of how it emerged that way. There is a matter of uh, Donald Trump attempting to pin uh, the blame on uh, China as a, and doing so through uh, reference to this lab. And um, so there are all sorts of cockamamie versions of this, um, but the, the, the more uh, cogent version is that uh, there was a uh, samples that that uh, uh, there was a series of experiments done not only in this lab but elsewhere called gain of function studies in which they allow the virus to in essence uh, uh, pass through a series of um, of animals and in the course of doing so can develop uh, uh, attributes that would be significantly more dangerous for a, a human um, now there's a lot more complication to this I won't go into it now uh, but suffice to say that uh, while I disagree with that hypothesis, uh, in Big Farms, Big Flu, I did write about the possibility of uh, increasing or an increasing possibility of these kind of lab accidents. In 2013, the Princeton University study came out that basically mapped the emergence of these uh, uh, biosafety uh, bio labs three and four. Those are labs that uh, uh, conduct experiments on the most dangerous uh, pathogens. And this came uh, out of uh, the worry over the emergence of these new infections, uh, H5N1 on, but also out of uh, uh, post 9-11, the whole focus on biosecurity. So the Princeton University study basically mapped out where these labs are. And there have been thousands of these new labs that have been built around the world. And uh, even uh, many of them, not all, but uh, some of them are not necessarily the best well run. So a rare event, the possibility of a lab accident bends toward an inevitability when you increase so many numbers that uh, at that, that some point something like this might happen. Again, I don't necessarily agree that this is what happened this time. I think the genetics of the virus uh, lends itself to more a so-called more natural <laughs> uh, spillover. I put natural in quotes because the, um, uh, um, just like um, you know, all, in all these outbreaks that have occurred, uh, whether it's the H5N1, whether it's the SARS-1, whether it's the Ebola. Uh, what we see here is uh, an increasing uh, uh, deforestation development uh, uh, spearheaded by agribusiness mining and logging into the, uh, the last of the uh, natural forests around the world. 
uh, in uh, basically increasing the interface between um, uh, wild animals that are the natural reservoir for many of these pathogens. And while typically you might have spillover events uh, happen now and then, taking out the village or two, as we discussed, uh, when uh, you get rid of forests, uh, you in essence smooth out the pathway that these pathogens have. If many of you have ever been in a neotropical forest, uh, it's a really a com complex uh, place. A lot of different animals, a lot of different plants, uh, and they're all interacting in all sorts of different ways. And that in, it, it introduces a kind of chaos in, in such a way, an ecological chaos that keeps any one pathogen from being able to line up all the hosts it needs to be able to uh, shoot out through, the, um, uh, through all the different hosts and make its way out onto the global travel network. So uh, in essence, the forests do work for us. Uh, and by virtue of their own complexity, they're able to box in many of the deadly pathogens, keeping them uh, from going, uh, uh, you know, shooting out of their uh, um, uh, reservoirs and, and uh, into human settlements. And uh, in, in some sense, uh, our group got in some trouble in um, when we called the uh, West African outbreak the neoliberal Ebola, um, uh, in part because uh, the virus itself, as I said, hadn't changed that much. Um, but you see West Africa being uh, subjected to all sorts of structural adjustment and um, uh, programs that demand the, uh, you know, defunding of public health programs and, and animal health programs, but also allowing multinationals to come in and cut into the forests and, uh, you know, uh, for livestock and for logging and for um, um, plantation, uh, commodity plant plantations. Um, um, so uh, what that does is, in the case of Ebola, it permitted the uh, um, uh, many of the frugivore bats and, and insectivore bats, which are the nat natural reservoir for Ebola. You know, when you have deforestation, most of the animals, uh, many an animal might die out on taking with them their um, uh, pathogen. Um, but when you have got uh, some of these animals, they don't roll over uh, and die off. They uh, actually behaviorally plastic, they make decisions to survive. And some of the bats actually like these uh, plantations. So you, uh, um, they'll basically migrate to them. And what's not to like, you've got um, uh, all sorts of space. Um, you can uh, fly, you know, there's no competitors, no predators. You can fly between your roosting and foraging sites. Very easy to do. But along the way, you have an increasing uh, uh, interface with the humans who work there. So uh, this is often typically uh, the, the means by which some of the deadlier pathogens make its way into the human population, typically through labor that is taking care of livestock. Uh, and and uh, uh, crops, and uh, given that uh, West Africa, uh, you know, given uh, along with the uh, introduction of multinational corporations, we have the decline in uh, subsistence uh, farming. So many of the people are, are in essence subjected to land grabbing, and they have their lands taken from them. Uh, so they're forced to, in essence, work for these companies, or uh, they're forced to uh, uh, cycle migrate into the cities where there's uh, perhaps jobs available. So they migrate to the city and back into back home during um, harvest to help their, their family with the, uh, the family plot. So there's uh, how a virus can go into the deepest forest, spill over into humans at increasing rate and uh, diversity of, of pathogens. And then uh, by virtue of cycle migration or just flat out transport of livestock into the cities, uh, these viruses can make their way to regional capitals and then onto uh, the global travel network, uh, which is the most integrated it's ever been. 
So a virus can be in a, in a bat in, uh, in a, and uh, one day in a matter of weeks end up uh, uh, inside a Miami uh, sunbather in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, we are truly uh, integrated in ways that um, uh, permit pathogens that were normally boxed in to suddenly be able to explode out and about. Um, so that's at the end. Of, so this is in our minds, in our group mind, this is a, uh, these are kind of circuits of production that are, are basically popping up all over uh, around the world in this way where uh, um, industrial agriculture cuts into the forests. Some of the spillover events happen at that point of contact. Ebola is a good example of that. Others are happening more closer to the city. So you have industrial uh, livestock, hog and, uh, and poultry. So some of the influenzas are, that are able to be selected for greater deadliness uh, on the industrial uh, farms are able to spill over there and, and closer into the cities. And I think uh, H1N1 2009 and outside Mexico City is an example of that. And then some of these pathogens are emerging in a very complex way across these uh, circuits of production. So you have something like the SARS, which are in uh, typically in many of the um, bats uh, through central and, and south China, but of course there, there are coronaviruses around the world. But in this case, um, uh, you have uh, increasing um, encroachment in uh, China and, and uh, that has led to uh, increasing spillover and uh, coronaviruses are, uh, uh, are, are able to infect uh, multiple uh, uh, other hosts. So, you know, we've uh, this, uh, sampled it in civets and, uh, and some of these other wild food animals, uh, civets. Um, uh, there's the pangolin, of course, uh, but there's also been samples found in, in hog, uh, industrial hog livestock as well there. Uh, and there have been a couple, uh, a number of, of human SARS cases uh, that uh, didn't go anywhere, but uh, didn't infect humans since 2000, 2003, when SARS-1 uh, first emerged. Uh, my interpretation of it is that uh, some of the countries, uh, this is a more political interpretation, some of the countries, um, um, uh, the BRICS countries, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, uh, basically they uh, uh, decided that they weren't going to be merely uh, um, uh, the refrigerator, as it were, for uh, Europe and uh, uh, the United States, that they were going to pull their, their populations out of poverty by their version of capitalism. Uh, for and you know it's not for me to say whether or not it's a good decision that's their country uh, their countries and uh, but in the course of doing so uh, in lifting many millions out of poverty and, and leaving many millions behind uh, they the choice was to in essence uh, increasingly cut into their uh, resources in a way that uh, has led to um, emergence of some of these pathogens now that's not to let the United States or Europe off the hook We've done the same ourselves. Uh, H5N2 is here in the United States. Uh, you have an influenza H5NX that was circulating uh, in various European countries. Uh, so in essence, this is a globalized uh, problem, a global problem. And, uh, but it is fascinating the way uh, each country has their version uh, of uh, basically interfacing with global capitalism and in, in a very locale specific way that leads to uh, the emergence of very specific pathogens that happen to be uh, circulating uh, in their borders for uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, so the COVID-19, SARS-2, um, in my mind, uh, emerged somewhere along in the middle there. Uh, at some point, uh, 
uh, the bat uh, strain and the penguin strain got together. I know uh, my uh, uh, lab theory colleagues disagree with me, but uh, I will push back uh, in a matter of days. I've got a pay, uh, another post coming up on this. Um, but um, I think it's uh, clear that uh, some of these pathogens are operating uh, uh, with many years of time to experiment across different hosts. Uh, and over large stretches of geographical geographic space, in this case over multiple uh, provinces in China, to basically experiment in such a way that ultimately, while many of the uh, SARS that may have hit humans never actually went human to human, uh, again, uh, in this case you have uh, uh, billions of animals uh, and mixes of animals and livestock and humans uh, through which uh, these uh, pathogens are experimenting in such a way that permits the um, uh, pathogens to emerge. Uh, and uh, uh, upon a, 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 a physical characteristic, a phenotype that allows them to solve the uh, human immune system and spread easily. Uh, and then, uh, you know, subsequently, once it hits uh, uh, the global travel network, uh, it's pretty much over. The, the, the horse has left the barn, as it were. And, uh, you, know, we, you know, at that point, um, all we can do is uh, batten down the public health hatch. Uh, there's a, certainly a left program in that way. We want to demand uh, whatever vaccines are developed or are made available to everybody without cost. We want to make sure that uh, everything, you know, here's the thing, everything Donald Trump has asked for or pushed through, we want to do the opposite. So he ever were worried about a particular uh, a decision about what programs should be done or, or what decision policies decisions should be made. You know, probably if Trump says something, it's probably the other way we should be going. That's what the terrible thing is at this point. Uh, you know, and I'm certainly not a member of the Democratic Party. They have a lot to do with how neoliberalism uh, came about, how the uh, public health system was uh, in essence sold off, how uh, the medical system was in essence turned into a bunch of billable moments between you and your doctor, how uh, even uh, any everyday uh, person who wanted to do the right thing, and there's that example of the um, uh, medical supply salesman came back from China, back to Miami. Uh, he wanted to do the right thing. He had a flu symptoms. He went to uh, this hospital to be tested. Um, uh, he worried that his Obamacare would not cover it, and he was right. Uh, I mean, they covered it. They were able to do the test, but he was basically charged uh, over $3,000 for just his test. I mean, what does that do in terms of telling people about uh, participating in, in um, uh, a kind of the social uh, uh, enterprise necessary to be able for all of us to rally around and defeat this outbreak? And, um, and I see, you know, presently, uh, we're in a, in a pitched battle where those who are supposed to be defending us, as Riley brought up, are not uh, doing a damn thing. In fact, they're doing everything to protect themselves. And it's an indication uh, about what they plan to do in terms of how they will respond to climate change as well. Uh, in essence, they are prepared to consign millions of people uh, uh, to the ash heap. Uh, they're prepared to continue to make uh, accumulate capital uh, atop of many uh, uh, a body, uh, not uh, just around the world in countries that are, are, are uh, poor, but here in the United States as well.